Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yet the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Those are verses 8 through 13 of Psalm 85, which along with Psalm 87 are the psalms appointed for today, January the 4th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. <coughs> um, we are today looking at Exodus 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, and then over in Hebrews still, in chapter 11, verses 23 to 31, and then John's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 6 to 14. So first what we get is Moses, and if I'll give you, let me give you the back story just so you, you've got all this clear in your minds about the timing. So what we've got is Moses, remember, grows up in, he's, he's born in a time when all the um, Hebrew boys are being put to death because the, the people are afraid that they're too numerous for them and that they might actually, if they turn on them, they might overrun them. And so they're concerned about that, and so they're killing Hebrew, ch- Hebrew children. Moses' parents, however, hid him, and then mom puts him, gives him to the da- the, their daughter, who is, uh, who is Miriam, and she puts him in a basket, puts him in the river, in the Nile, and Pharaoh's uh, daughter draws him out. And then she takes him, um, Miriam sees this and said, hey, you need a wet nurse, and so Moses' mother actually nurses this child who grows up in Pharaoh's household. He then decides later in life that he's going to identify with his people, the Israelites, and kills an Egyptian who is mistreating one of the Hebrew slaves. And so after that, he attempts to break up an argument between two Hebrews, and they say, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you going to do to us like you did to the Egyptian? So they know that, that he has killed someone, and so he decides to flee because he doesn't know who all knows this. And so now he's out tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. So that's where we begin. So Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. We don't think he's a, a priest of, of the living God because the, the Israelites are all over in Egypt. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, it's the mountain of God only because we know that in retrospect. We don't have any idea that it's the mountain of God before the the, the revelation is given here. Horeb and Sinai are the same place. So, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. That was exactly what was going on was is that they he sees this thing and it catches his attention because the bush is not being burned up in spite of the fact that there's a fire there. Now, I had a, a an Old Testament professor in seminary, Alan Ross, who was a fantastic guy, and he had made many, many trips, uh, dozens of trips to the area, to the region in the Holy Land and had been out in the wilderness and said that he had heard people say, well, this happens all the time in the wilderness. Things spontaneously combust. He said they do. That's not the issue. (laughs) The issue is it's not being consumed. 
So that's what catches his attention. Moses says, I'll turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Can't be any more straightforward than that. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, don't come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. It, when we get to the, the revelation at Sinai, when God reveals himself to all the people here at this same place, we get this same idea, not that they have to take off their sandals, but they're not to come near the mountain. There's a holy thing here. And then he said, I'm the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And in that, what we see is God knows who this Abraham is. Remember, he is out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> he's in the wilderness, and, and he's tending the flock of his father-in-law, who is the priest of Midian. He grew up in Pharaoh's household. Many people would have thought, oh, that's that Egyptian guy who's out there. But here... I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I know who you are, Moses. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. And remember, that's exactly where Moses sort of got himself into trouble was he tried to, he intervened in a situation because he heard the cry of God's people because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So he knows where all these places are, and so it's got to be good news from, from his perspective, certainly, that we've got God has come down to deliver the people, that's great. So, you know, why have you come to me? <clears throat> Would be the question. And behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Yeah, well, me too. Forty years ago, when I was there, I saw the same thing. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Uh, but Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And that's exactly the question he was asked the last time he was in the, in the land of Egypt was, who made you ruler and judge over us? And so the question now is, is who am I that you would send me to do this thing? I don't see that going particularly well. He said, God said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. This is one of those signs where when I see the sign and I see what God says, it's like there's a miscommunication here. One of us doesn't understand the nature of a sign. You need to give me the sign before I go to prove to me that this is really God. I understand I'm talking to you in a burning bush, but that's a, it's a bad sign if if the sign's not even visible until after I've done the work. But it's the sign that God gives him. 
because it's a promise of God that this is what will happen. And so, as I've said a couple of times in the, over the last week, it, it's we're called to have faith in God's promise. And so, essentially, he's making a promise to him that you'll come back to this place and you'll serve me, which that verb could also be worship. You'll serve or worship me here on this mountain. This is going to be an important mountain for Moses. He's going to spend a fair bit of time up on that mountain. He's going up there and meet with God, and then he's going to come back. He's going to talk to the people, and then he's going to go back up the mountain with the leaders of Israel, the 72, and they go up and they have a meal with God, and then he's going to go spend 40 days with him. And then he's going to come back down the mountain after the uh, problem with the golden calf, and then he's going to go back up the mountain for another 40 days to get the second set of commandments. So... That that's the the scene here is is that that Moses God knows who he is. He knew where he was and he knew who he was. He knew who his father was. He knew that you're mine. You belong to my tribe. And so God knew him and he knew his suffering and he reached out after forty years. Forty years this man has tended the flock of his father-in-law. He grew up in the house of Pharaoh. He believed himself to be the deliverer of Israel, and yet he's been tending sheep for the last 40 years, having surely thought, wow, what in the world is my life about? I've been an 80-year-old man at this point, and God reaches out to this man who, who seems to be lost, who seems to have been forgotten, whose entire story is incomprehensible to him in light of what's happened the last 40 years. And God reaches out and calls this man and says, I need you to do the most important thing you could ever imagine. It's an amazing thing, and we should never give up on God. We should never believe that he has forgotten us. We just persevere in whatever we've been given to do. And when he needs us, we need to be available to him. In the gospel lesson, Thomas says to him, this is at the Last Supper, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you want to get to the Father, Thomas, then I'm the way. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know me and have seen him. In other words, at some level, Thomas is still not 100% certain who Jesus is. There's something lacking in his understanding. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you do. What changed? Right? So Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. That's good enough. That's all I need. Just show me the Father. I, I think they're still confused about who Jesus is talking about. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? So both Thomas and Philip, here Jesus says the same thing to him. You don't know me. How could that be? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? I'm coexistent with the Father. If you want to know the Father, just know me. Do you, what, have, what have you seen in me that you don't believe who I am? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So you, you've got multiple 
streams of evidence here to evaluate Philip and Thomas. Evaluate those streams. If you, based on the works that you've seen me do, come to a conclusion about who I am and what the power is in me that does these works. Stop doubting and believe. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. This is one of the most unbelievable promises to me. It's just, I still stand in amazement and ask, Lord, can I see these things? I mean, I've seen great miracles. I've seen unbelievable things happen, but not like people being raised from the dead. I've seen people who have been restored to health and things like that, but the, this idea that that we will do the works that he does and greater works than these because I go to the Father, it just seems beyond belief. And I I can't imagine how they would have heard that either. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And remember later in the passage we read from yesterday, which is a couple of chapters after this, Jesus says, from now on, you won't ask me to do things. You'll, you'll ask the Father directly, and you'll ask in my name to do that. <clears throat> and so Jesus promises, though, that prayer is efficacious, and the works that we do can be great. We just have to have that kind of faith that these things will happen. We, we have to step out in faith, and the church very rarely does <clears throat> these days. But when it does, great things happen. In the passage from Hebrews, we're going to get that history. We're still continuing in the line of of the Old Testament heroes. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. What's a good thing he wasn't born ugly, I guess. (laughs) And they were not afraid of the king's edict. they They were afraid, but they believed something else, and so they decided to keep him as long as they could, until then they have some fear about what to do. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So he identified himself with God's people. And that's exactly what happened, and it's exactly what got him in exile. But the f- strange thing is, remember this, when they're coming back to the land, back to Egypt, when he's going back with Zipporah and his children, what happens is God breaks out against him because he hasn't circumcised his children. So he hasn't fully identified with God's people in his exile. And God breaks out against him. He's got to bring his children into the covenant through circumcision in order to be the leader of God's people. He has to fully identify with them by having his children circumcised as well. And it's the same idea of Jesus being baptized. Jesus comes willingly to John and says, I need you to baptize me. And John says, are you kidding? I'm not worthy to do that. You should be doing baptizing me. And Jesus says, nope, it's to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus identified with sinners in his baptism in the same way Moses identifies with God's people by raising his children as Jews and having them circumcised. So he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. And the reward is eternal life. The reward is more than the momentary pleasures of being Pharaoh's child. He considered the reproach of Christ 
Oh, we just read, sorry. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So he wasn't afraid of the wrath of the king because he was, well, more afraid of, but at the same time, more um, beholden, let's say, and had greater faith in the one who was invisible because he had seen and heard at the burning bush. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. And it begs the question a little bit there, because they, is it because they weren't cr- trying to cross in faith? Or was it that they were just chasing after the Israelites? <clears throat> But they didn't have faith, and God wasn't protecting them. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies, those who were disobedient with the other people of Jericho. So (laughs) faith is always the key thing, and faith in the name of Jesus, the person of Jesus, is the key to everything. And if we stand with him, if we stand in faith with him, nothing, nothing is impossible. We're called to that kind of radical faith. Not just easy believism, but radical faith that means that we're willing to do anything and sacrifice anything for the glory of God, just as Jesus did.